Welcome to the Papa Cast on the links. Now here's your host, Bob Papa. Welcome to another edition of the Papa Cast. I'm Bob Papa. The 98th PGA Championship being contested here at Baltusrol in Springfield, New Jersey, and I've got a pair of PGA champions by my side. My colleagues at Golf Channel as well. 1977 PGA champion at Pebble Beach, Lanny Watkins, and 1978 PGA champion John Mahaffey, who won his at Oakmont. Gentlemen, first of all, welcome to the show, and good to see you guys. Bob, it's always great to be with you in a little different venue than where we normally are, but good to be here. John, I know it was a long trip over to Scotland for the Senior Open Championship, but uh, it's got to be nice to be back at a storied venue like Baltusrol. It always is. When you have a golf tournament on a golf course that has the history that this one has at Baltusrol, I think that it's always very, very special. And the PGA Championship, for Lanny and I, even more special. We're going to uh, give away a pair of tickets, uh, Wanamaker Club tickets, a little bit later on in the show. We asked our audience to send some questions, and we got a lot of good ones, and we've been able to pick one and dis- you know pick through it and come up with it. But let's talk a little bit about this year's PGA Championship first and foremost. Lanny, it's the final major of the year. Everything is compressed, and the Open was just two weeks ago. How difficult is, is it for the players to have a major so close together? I think it, uh, in some ways, it takes the specialness of it away, Bob, because you, you don't get over one before and then start preparing before you've got another one coming up. And, you know, all this compression is because of the Olympics this year. The Olympics has come on the schedule. It's made everybody else take a step back, and we've had to accommodate that in, in all kinds of areas when it comes to golf scheduling. But uh, I, th- I think the players are used to the majors being spread out. Uh, so definitely a different feeling this year for, for the players playing in all these events. John, what about your take on that? Would it be difficult for you as a player to have to deal with trying to ramp up for two majors in the span of three weeks? I don't think it'd be that difficult if I was really playing well. If I felt like I had a, if I played well in, in all the majors this year, and I played in the last one, and I played very well, I think that you could have a carryover. A lot of players have that; they play good in streaks. So, uh, if I was a streaky player, I'd kind of like it. Let's talk a little bit about Phil Mickelson because you and I were talking about Phil a couple of weeks ago and his chances of winning another major. And here he is at the Open Championship, and he plays spectacular golf in the final round, bogey-free, sixty-five. On any other day, that's good enough to win. Um, but when you're older like he is, is it tougher to swallow? Well, it probably is because I don't think, you know, when you're in your early 30s moving into 35, 36, which would normally be considered a player's prime, uh, you think the majors are going to be there forever. You ne- you don't even think about the end coming anytime soon. At Phil's age at 45, trust me, he understands that the end of his being competitive in major championships is you know close at hand so it, it's putting a little bit more pressure on him to succeed right now and I know he's got to have uh, his confidence very very high coming in this week he won here at Baltusrol in 05 and you know with the play that he exhibited at the uh, open championship he's really got to be ready to go John with the way he played um, can he find that magic again just two weeks later well, as Lanny said, he's already won here before, so I think he probably can. And the thing is, he did—he played such a wonderful round. Sometimes you just get beat, and there's not anything you can do about it. You didn't beat yourself. You got beat by a guy that played a whole lot better than shot 63. That's incredible, and you know what? You just got to take it. Hey, you tip your cap to Henrik Stenson with the way he played uh, at the Open. Um, you look at this venue. 
you guys have played U.S. Opens here. Lanny, you broadcast in 05 uh, with CBS when the PGA Championship was last year. Four under was the winning score. Do you think they can go lower than that this time around just because of how much further they're all hitting it? I would be surprised if they don't go lower, Bob. Uh, particularly, we just had a big thunderstorm yesterday, uh, which softened up the course. And rain does two things. It makes the greens more receptive, and it makes the fairways wider. So that that's uh, that's a good thing for the bigger hitters. And I, I just think the scoring has been off the charts this year, watching these guys play. So I'd be surprised if it's not somewhere in, in double figures, actually. Double figures, huh? What about you, John? I think it, I, I agree with Landy in that respect. There, there's so many players, the depth of talent on the tour is incredible. And so the guys can take it low at almost any time, and there's a lot of them that can do it. So I think it can happen this week. All right. Uh, give me a little rundown of this golf course. And we're going to talk about Kerry Haig and the way he sets up the PGA Championships. But, uh, Lanny, I'll start with you on that. Um, you love the way the PGA of America sets up the golf course for their championship. What is it about the Kerry Haig setup that you really enjoy? It's very consistent, Bob. Uh, the rough is always consistent. Uh, the green speeds are consistent. Uh, he'll, he'll, he'll get, he gives the player a chance. He's not going to make it where uh, he's not out to try and embarrass the players. That's why I think the scores may go to, the, <clears throat> excuse me, to double figures. Uh, it's just a very good basic setup. Uh, nothing over the top. Everything is right in front of you, so whatever is there, he doesn't want to embarrass the player or the golf course. So Kerry takes into consideration what's needed to make a hole challenging, and he does it with rough and with uh, length of rough around greens, uh, green speeds, if you will, and hole locations. He's he's all-encompassing, and he's, he's a very, very talented guy. He's the best setup guy in the business. John, if you miss a shot here, uh, they put Kentucky Bluegrass rough in back in 2005. We're leading up to the 05 PGA Championship. Uh, it made it a stiff test. Um, but if you hit the ball fairly straight and keep it in the fairway, it does. this golf course gives you an opportunity to score. Is that something that you like to see? Well, major championships should do that. Absolutely. Put a premium on not only putting but driving the golf ball in the fairway so that you can set up your second shots or third shots, whatever it might be, into the par fives. And, and uh, this golf course definitely does that. With the rain that they had here last night, I think that's going to let the rough grow a little bit. They'll top it off, but it'll be enough. It'll be severe enough to penalize the guy if he drives it in the rough. When we were at the Constellation Senior Players for Golf Channel uh, at the Philadelphia Cricket Club, another Tillinghast design, uh, Wingfoot, which has held so many U.S. Opens like Baltusrol, Ridgewood Country Club. Uh, there's so many great uh, golf courses designed by Tillinghast. When you think about his course design, is there a specific characteristic that jumps out in your mind? Well, I think they're special in the fact that everything's right in front of you. You know where everything is. There's no trickery. If you can play the shot, you can play the hole. Put the ball in a fairway, you can play. Lanny, your thoughts on a Tillinghast design? Yeah, same thing that John was alluding to there, Bob. Uh, everything is right in front of you. The other thing he does, he gives you a lot of variation on par threes. Every par three is not 220. You take 16 and 4 here at Baltusrol. You got one's 150, the other one's 215, 220. So two completely different length holes, and yet you have to hit quality shots on both. So uh, it's, it's not always, I think, Tillinghast understood there wasn't just one way to play the game, and he, fe he felt like there was importance on every club in the bag. And when you play a Tillinghast course, you're going to use every club in your bag. 
for the members, it plays as a par 72. For the PGA Championship, it plays as a par 70. Does that make a difference at all in your mind for the players? Just numbers. That's all it is. It doesn't make that much difference. These guys are long enough that it shouldn't uh, make a bit of difference at all. Let's talk about a defending champ, Jason Day. Um, He's had a spectacular year. Maybe not at the top of his form coming in as what we saw earlier. When you start looking at the field and trying to handicap it, how do you handicap this field for the 98th PGA Championship? Well, and, you know, this is one of the things that's happened, I think, Bob, because of the compression of schedule. You look at who's playing well. Dustin Johnson has essentially played every week since he won the U.S. Open, and he's played very, very well every week. Just finishing a shot back last week in Canada. I mean, to me, he's got to be the favorite coming in. He's in great shape physically, uh, and, and I think he's the guy to beat. You know, long players have had success here at Baltusrol. Nicholas has won. Mickelson's won. Tom Weisskopf shot 63 here in the Open. So long players have played well. So I think, to me, with Dustin Johnson playing that well, I would make him my favorite. Then I look at guys like Day, and, and I think that I think Jordan Spieth has something to prove. So don't be surprised if you don't hear from him this week. Phil Mickelson, Henrik Stenson, all these guys want to build on what they did at the Open Championship. So I think we're in for a wide-open great week, really do. John, uh, handicap the field for me a little bit. He just did it. Uh-huh. Uh, those are the players that I, that I would you have You always ch- have a different guy, though. You always have somebody else. You, whenever we do this on Golf Channel, you throw us a little curveball. Snedeker. I like him. I like the way he putts. Uh, he makes a lot of putts. I think he's starting to play a lot better golf right now. Uh, Swartzel, I think uh, his game suits this type of golf course. So I think uh, it's a couple of guys out of the top 20 uh, in the world golf rankings, I think they might have a shot at it. You know, we do the PGA Tour champions every week on Golf Channel. And, uh, you know, we've seen guys, veteran guys, contend, especially at the Masters, where, you know, you come back every year to the same venue. Do you believe Bernhard Langer's statement that he believes at some point along the way here somebody over 50 is going to win a major? It's going to be tough. The, the youngsters get better and better, Bob. But at the same time, the older players stay in better condition, uh, you know, I can. I mean, a guy like Steve Stricker, he finished really good at the Open Championship. I could see him doing it, playing the Champions Tour the next couple of years. I really could. Uh, you know, it. I think Langer had some chances. I thought he would have made a better statement with his last round at Augusta this year, but uh, it's going to be very, very difficult. Uh, the length is the one thing that draws against them, so that's that's always there. But uh, it may happen if it does. Uh, I, yeah, I think it would depend on. I think the venue has to help them. Has to be. It wouldn't surprise me if the USGA, for example, went back to Marion, a little bit shorter venue. Then maybe a guy like Stricker could really be a factor. John, what about you? Do you think it's just this perpetual tease that we'll always have, where you'll see guys near the top of the leaderboard, but over a four-day span, it's just tough at an advanced stage. Although Tom Watson nearly beat the odds at the Open. He did, but I, I don't think that anybody over 50 will. I just I just don't think that they can handle it for four days. Uh, it's, it's a fatigue factor. They don't play that much golf that way, especially at Augusta where you're walking up and downhill all day long uh, for four days, five days practice rounds. Uh, it would be something uh, out of the ordinary if, if it were to happen. I don't think uh, – I really don't think it will. Let's go into meaning. I want to get a little philosophical with my buddies here. Start with you, John. 1978, you win the PGA Championship at Oakmont. All these years later, what does it mean to you to have a Wanamaker Trophy and be 
a PGA champion forever? Well, it, it's very, very special to me. It changed my whole life. I had uh, two chances to win U.S. Opens in 1975 and 76, and I had my, my hand, one hand on the trophy and wasn't able to get both hands on it. And I think it was a reprieve in a way for me. Uh, something. It was a dream come true. When you're a kid, you're always thinking about winning major championships and having that opportunity and have it come to fruition at a golf course like Oakmont was very, very special and changed my life. What about for you, Lanny? I mean, you, you guys... With all due respect to the PGA Championship, there are certain venues, and then there are other venues. John won at Oakmont. You won yours in 1977 at Pebble Beach. What does it mean to you to be forever a PGA champion? Well, it's, it, it means a lot, Bob. No, for me, like John, it was kind of life-changing. I was actually uh, an unexempt player on tour when I won. I'd had, I'd had some injuries and stuff in 74, 75, 76, and hadn't played very well came back in 77 was having a good year had had some seconds and hadn't won in a while I hadn't won since 73 so to put a win on the board kind of got me back in the swing of things and my career took off from that point plus it got me on the, my first Ryder Cup team which ended up being a big part of my career but I think having that you know PGA champion moniker always behind my name is is very very special and you look at the, the list of names on the Wanamaker trophy and it's uh, it's, it's pretty impressive, and the fact that John and I are both on there is really cool. And uh, like him winning at Oakmont, me winning at Pebble Beach, which I think is one of the iconic venues you know, in our country, I, I'm very proud to have won. Actually, the only PGA played at Pebble Beach. There you go. So Lanny's got that little slice of history going his way. You both won players. You guys came up through the ranks together. You guys have competed against each other since your collegiate days. You've seen each other play under competition. I'm going to start with you, John. What was the part about this man's game, Lanny's game, that over the years competing you admired the most? Well, I, there, there's so many that, that you really can't put a finger on, on one particular thing, although I think his tenacity, and uh, he's like a bulldog, and he, and he was never going to let go. Uh, terrific uh, pulse tracker, if you want to call it that. I call it shot maker. He... Uh, he and I both, I think, were a little too streaky of putters, or we would have won a lot more golf tournaments. But you knew if, if Lanny was in close to the lead or in the lead that you were going to have your work cut out for you if you're going to try to catch him. Lanny, I'm going to pose the same question to you. I'm not going to bring up the NCAAs. Uh, but as you went, I know, it's a running joke with us at Golf Channel. Look at John's laughing. I know, he got a couple, he got a couple breaks along the way when he beat you, right? Well, he did. He chipped in a couple times the last <laughs> last day to beat me by a shot for the NCAA. And John's one of the best chippers and pitchers of the ball I'd ever seen. A uh, nice bunker player, too, but uh, I always liked his game. His game was well-rounded. Uh, like, you know, we both had what I would say is sufficient length off the tee. Neither one of us were big enough to be really long, but uh, we were good iron players. Uh, John went at flags. He played shots. I like, you know, like I like to play shots. Flags on the right. He's going to hit a fade left. He's going to hit a draw. Uh, we're going to we're going to play the shot that's required. The other thing is, I don't think either one of us, and particularly John, was, and we weren't afraid to stand there and and play the shot that was required. We weren't afraid to stand there with a driver on a tight hole with OB or water on either side and and hit you know hit the shot if we really needed it. Uh, we didn't back off when it came to winning, and that's important. A lot of guys are afraid to win. I think we, we played to win, and that's, that's what makes a big difference. So, I have you two guys 
one's in the Hall of Fame, one had a storied career like you did, John. You look back on it now. We're sitting here on the veranda of Baltusrol. We're overlooking the putting green. There's thousands of spectators everywhere. There's energy in the air. Do you wish you could go back and tee it up one more time? Do you, do you, do you, when, you, when, you, when you're in this environment, because you're both great competitors, you didn't accomplish what you accomplished without being great competitors, and I know you had your time in the sun, but is there a part of you that just says, man, I wish I could roll back the clock for just one week and play in one, in one more of these things? I'd like to be in the hunt the last nine holes of this golf tournament. I miss that so much, and uh, don't play enough golf anymore to, to make any kind of matter, but just remembering how that felt. Yes, you do want to be back in the arena one more time. Lanny, you won the father-son with your sons this year, um, and that's great. Playing with your boys, one on the bag, one making putts all over the place and bombing it down the fairways. But same question I just posed to John. Do you wish you could be 32 years old and participate and take on these guys? And you took on the best of the best. You took, both of you played against the greatest players of all time, legendary players. Would you love to test your game against this field and these players of today? First off, I'd just like to be 32 and know what I know now. <laughs> Let me have that for starters, and I think I'd really have some fun. But uh, I, I think, yeah, I would love to be that, you know, 32 and have the opportunity, Bob, no question. Uh, I think with today's technology in the game, I, you know, I, I think John and I are, are the kind of players that could benefit from the technology. And I think uh, it would actually help me playing against even today's players. So it would be awfully cool to be involved. And, and like John, I miss the hunt. I miss playing. I was fortunate to get a little taste of it last December when Tucker and I won the father's son. Uh, I made a putt at the last hole, and it's the first time I've hit a putt that meant anything in, I don't know, 15 years or more. So it, it was really cool. And the fact that I made, made it shock my boys, which was even better. But it was uh, that, that was a great experience for me. And, yeah, we, we miss it. We miss the hunt. And, we you know, like everybody, every, it, when you look at it now, it went by too fast. And I think that happens to a lot of athletes, you know, that have been successful in, in any arena as they go. You know, you don't realize it when you're playing. It's like I was talking about Mickelson. When you're 35, 32, it's going to last forever. You don't worry about being in the next Masters or the next Open or the U.S. Open or PGA. Oh, I got another one next year, whatever. If I didn't win that major, I'll get one of the next ones. Well, time does run out on, on all of us, and uh, and that's what happened, and you, it is what it is. John, when you look at today's players, are there anybody, any players out there that when you watch them play, either their temperament, their swing, the way they play the game, you say to yourself, you know, kind of reminds me a little of me. I, there's something about his game that reminds me of my game. Well, there's so many of them. I mean, there's a lot of great shot makers and stuff. There's a lot of guys that I admire that I wish I could have done what they did. And that's how the presence of mind of what Spieth has at his age. I think to be that mature, had I been that, I think my whole career would have been a lot different than it is. So I've got a lot of admiration for these young players because there is a depth of talent. Yes, we played against some of the the history of the game, all right? But uh, these guys have a lot of competition every week, and they stand up and they, and they perform. I love to see that. How about you, Lanny? When you, when you watch today's players and you do some PGA Tour events, as both of you do, are there one or two guys that just say, that's kind of probably what I look like a little bit, the way they go about their business? Well, I mean, I've, I've known Jordan Spieth a long time. I like to watch him. But the guy that really kind of has the mannerisms that I had playing would probably be Ricky Fowler. 
I think if you had to get down to it, I, I think uh, he putts better than I did. I drove it straighter than he did. He's a little longer, but I was, you know, more accurate and maybe a little better iron player. But all in all, it's just, he plays with the same attitude, which I like. I like people that, that play and uh, look like they intend to win. And he's like me, he's a little bit on the streaky side. So, uh, but, it, you know, I think Ricky's got a long career ahead of him. It's going to be fun to watch. All right, I want to go. To, uh, I want to give away a pair of tickets to the PGA Championship this weekend, and I've got uh, a pair of Wanamaker Club tickets, my own personal tickets, that I'm going to give away. And we posed the question on Twitter and on Facebook, and Jimmy Geiser of nearby Madison, New Jersey, posed the question, and uh, it goes like this: Did you feel more pressure in 1978 as you were winning? the PGA Championship because of what had transpired in the U.S. Opens and the near misses? Did it make it tougher to close out? Actually, I think the experience of losing the other two, yes, I felt the pressure, but I also felt like I paid my dues and it was my time and uh, I was fortunate enough for it to be my time. I played the best golf I ever played for the last 54 holes of that tournament and was fortunate enough to win in a playoff. So I think the experience of the other two and uh, just the the feeling of uh, just ridiculous how how you, you the nightmares you have when you lose, and how you can't believe it. I woke up, I think uh, four or five times the night after I'd won the PGA just to make sure that trophy was still in the room. So, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> I think I, I got a lot of experience from the other two, and that helped a lot. Lanny, I'll pose the same question to you. 1977, uh, you win the PGA Championship at Pebble Beach. Was there more pressure in closing that out, or was there more pressure in the 91 Ryder Cup? Well, probably more pressure in the 91 Ryder Cup, Bob. Uh, I won the PGA in the playoff, as John did, and I was actually in a position that I wasn't sure I had a chance to win the last round because Littler had a big lead. He made some mistakes coming down the stretch. I made some eagles and birdies the last day. But uh, I was actually playing to try and finish in the top eight to get myself back in the Masters the next year. And when I had a chance, I got it done. But the Ryder Cup is about me playing with 11 other guys as my team members and captain there and everybody out there, you know, chanting USA, USA. And we had lost the Ryder Cup uh, several times. You know, we didn't hold the Ryder We had not held the Ryder Cup since 83, if you will. So it was, uh, it was a challenge to be part of that team at Kiowa. I played very well. I was proud of the way I played, performed. Uh, when I was when I finished my singles match, I know I was worn out. Uh, it was the hardest I think I'd ever tried. So it was, uh, yeah, I think definitely more pressure at Kiwa. You played a lot of years. You played in a lot of different groups, a lot of different pairings. When you think about going back in time, uh, did you have a couple of favorites that you loved to play with, whether it was in competition or in a practice round? Well, my favorites probably go back before that. I had the opportunity to work for Jackie Burke and Jimmy DeMerit at, at Champions and uh, through them met Ben Hogan and had the opportunity to, to play with Mr. Hogan with those two also in the group. So those three together would probably be, they were magic. And uh, I'd like to relive that a lot. How about you, Lanny? Um, the king of Tuesdays uh, with, with the games that you had going on. But did you have... Some favorite guys that you, you know, if you saw that you wound up being paired with them or, or whatever, guys that you really enjoyed playing with? Yeah, I did. I mean, I, I, I always enjoyed playing with Tom Weisskopf. Uh, he was a good buddy. Uh, he was great to play with. I played with him at Baltusrol here and kept his 
uh, card here in the 80 Open when he shot 63. So uh, I've seen him play really, really fantastic up close and personal. I mean, I, I like playing the guys that played kind of like I did, no nonsense, play golf. Weiss Golf was like that. Watson was like that. Uh, Raymond Floyd, Hale Irwin, they were guys that really played the game with the intent of trying to win, and every shot meant something. So I love guys that, that play with intensity, and all, all those guys did. All right, I'm going to wrap it up shortly, but the PGA of America, which puts on the PGA Championship, also uh, presides over the Ryder Cup. And obviously the Ryder Cup is always big news in being a Ryder Cup year. Lanny, what needs to be done in order for the United States to be successful again in the Ryder Cup? It's pretty cut and dried, Bob. I think our studs have to step up and and play very, very well. Uh, When I played, it was me and Watson and Haler when uh, Tom Kite... Got, uh, Nicholas Trevino, you know, we all had big time winning records. We all played very well. Uh, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Jim Furyk all have big time losing records. If you give any of them a winning record at this point, we'd have won another two, three, maybe four Ryder Cups. So it's as much about our studs, the highest ranked players in the world, taking care of business when they get to the Ryder Cup matches. Uh, they're the ones that the other team, that your teammates lean on. I mean, my teammates expected me to win. We expected Hale to win. We expected uh, Watson to win. I mean, that was just the way it was when we were there. And I think that today's players, you know, would have expected Mickelson, Woods, and Furyk to take care of business. Now, that the changing of the guard has taken place with that. So now you've got Justin, you know, Jordan Spieth. You've got, uh, you know, some other young players that are starting to really step up and play well. So uh, Dustin Johnson, everybody's going to be looking up to him to go, 4-0, 5-0 at the Ryder Cup this year. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens if the guys with the higher world rankings need to take care of business. That's coming from a Ryder Cup captain and someone who has the second most U.S. Ryder Cup wins of all time, Lanny Watkins. John Mahaffey, I'll turn to you. What do you think are the keys for the United States to getting back on top in Ryder Cup play? I think there's only one key, and that's that they've got to make the putts at the right time, and we don't do that. We haven't for years. And I think we got to step up and knock the putts in. We talked about some of the, Lanny talked about some of the younger group of players coming through. We broadcast the NCAAs on Golf Channel now, and they've gone to match play over the last bunch of years for the men. Do you think that these young players might fare better in Ryder Cup play because they've been under the pressure of playing? in these matches and getting a chance to play match play to win an NCAA championship? Well, they'll certainly be more familiar with it. And I think now that there's these guys, I know Phil Mickelson and some of the guys, Snedeker and them, have decided that they're going to play their practice rounds. They're going to try to play alternate shot. They're going to have teams. They're going to play <clears throat> different different types of games, match play, and uh, to try to get used to those kind of formats because it seems like we don't fare very well there. And I, I think if you're more familiar with it, uh, I think the collegiate is uh, way to do it. It's the smart way because they get used to it earlier. Lanny, you've seen a lot of these college kids that have come up and had success because of your son playing college golf. Do you believe that that is a factor that may pay dividends down the road for the United States in Ryder Cup and even President's Cup play? Yeah, I don't think there's any question, Bob. That That's one thing that's added to the mix, but uh, don't forget the U.S. Junior has competed at, at match play. Jordan Spieth won a couple of those. 
the U.S. amateurs com- competed at match play. Uh, you know, I mean, Tiger Woods won three amateurs, three juniors. You would expect that he would go in as a terrific match player, and yet he's he's faltered. Mickelson also won a U.S. amateur, and uh, then there's the Western amateurs still competed at, at match play. So there are enough tournaments out there for, for guys to get a taste of it and understand, you know, what it takes to play well at match play. So uh, they've just got to go get the job done. Just saw Davis Love walk by Ryder Cup captain. You were a Ryder Cup captain. What's the biggest challenge of being a Ryder Cup captain? Well, the most the, the thing that puts you under the most pressure, the two things. One, making the captain's picks to play because it's not right off the list. And number two, the pairings, trying to get everything straight as far as pairings go, uh, making sure the players are compatible. And another one people don't think about, make sure the golf balls are compatible. You may have a guy playing Callaway, another guy playing Titleist, but you want them to play together. Well, they've got to. Be, they can only play one golf ball, and so you've got to find out whose ball they. You know, somebody has to give way there. So certain players adjust better than others. So there's a lot of that involved when it comes to dealing with uh, foursomes, if you will. And four ball, it's a little bit more straightforward. You play your own ball, but uh, I think that in making sure the players have all the comfort creatures they need to have a really good comfortable fun week but they're really ready to play gentlemen always a pleasure now i want to before before we wrap up here i want to let our our listeners know that john was gracious enough and lanny was gracious enough and davis love the third all three gentlemen were gracious enough to sit down with me earlier this year as we got into their life story to find out more about these great players john mahaffey lanny watkins davis love the third you can go to the archives at bobpapa.com and check out the individual podcasts and find out their story behind their story. But this was a PGA Championship preview, a little look at the Ryder Cup with a couple guys that have their name on that Wanamaker trophy. John Mahaffey, 1978 champion. Lanny Watkins, 1977 champion. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. It's always a pleasure. Bob, always great to be with you. See you tonight. Yeah. How about this treat? The Champions Dinner, Lanny and John have graciously invited me to attend as their guests here at Baltusrol for the 98th PGA Championship. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Papa Cast Golf Cast.